Hi, I'm Nolan, and you're listening to a public church podcast. We hope you enjoy this talk. Thanks for listening. You know, one of the things I love about that song is maybe you didn't understand every single lyric in it, but I think the message is clear that we are about Jesus. The heart of this church is about Jesus. For those of us who follow Jesus, we're about him. And if you don't follow Jesus, here's our prayer. Through every lyric that's sung, through every line and hosting, even through the way we hold the doors, the way we serve your children, we just want to point you to Jesus so that Christ can be magnified. So where I'd like to start today as we continue our series is I'd like to connect with part of the room, and I know I'm going to disconnect with some of you, so you'll understand. I would love to connect with our list people. How many of you love to make lists? Raise your hand. Hi, proud. Some of you are like, wait a second, I'm making a list of what I have to do after the gathering. I'll raise my hand in a minute. I get you. If you don't make lists, we're going to pray for you. At some point, you'll be enlightened and rise to our level. I'm just kidding. It's based on just how you're wired. But I love to make lists. Now, list people, let's connect for a minute. If you're online, maybe you can say this in the chat. I'm just wondering, do any of you do something? Write it down just so you can mark it off. Anybody? Come on. Some of you guys are like, y'all are so weird. Yes, we own it. We are unique in the image of God, and you will get to our level. Just kidding again. Um, But I just love it. It feels so good. It's like, I did that. I didn't have it written down, so I'm going to write it down. And oh, just... Oh, man, there's something about it, isn't it? You know, it's almost as good as coffee. Almost, not quite. But I love lists. I love marking off lists. But here's so those you don't like lists can get on board. There is a danger that comes with lists, especially when we start thinking about lists and religion, lists and our relationship with Jesus. Here's one of the dangers, that we can begin to view lists as something to check that connect us with God. This idea that if I do three, five, 10, 12, however many things, if I do these things, then I'll be connected with God. That's just not true. The other danger, and honestly, some of you guys who don't follow Jesus, you may have had the passage we're gonna be in wielded as a weapon against you because here's what we can do as we follow Jesus. We can say, okay, Colossians 3, 5 through 17. That's where we're gonna be if you have your Bible or Bible apps. We, we see some lists here and we can take this list and we can develop legalism. Now, now, here's how that works, just to be clear. We take our favorite part of the list, the part that we're excelling at and doing really well at. We ignore the parts we're bad at, and then we begin to criticize you for doing bad at our favorite part of the list. Anybody with me? I've done this. Okay, this is confession time. We're not calling anybody out on the whole list because none of us really do the whole thing, but just our favorite parts, and you don't do it, so I'm holier than you. I'm more like Jesus than you, and these lists can be wielded as a weapon. It's almost like, if you were with us last week, we just discussed... In Colossians 2, 20 through 3, 4, that legalism just doesn't work. But sometimes we ignore 2, 20 through 3, 4, and we just begin to get to 3, 5 through 17, build this list, build legalism off of it, and all of a sudden arrogance flows with that. So I love lists, but lists can be dangerous. And that's what we're gonna be talking about today in Colossians chapter three. Now, before we dive into that text, just two quick things. Next weekend is a holiday weekend. July 4th is on a Sunday, which is pretty cool. So we wanna honor your family time, give you plenty of time to celebrate. So we're gonna have one gathering at nine o'clock. It's gonna be streamed online. We'll be on demand afterwards. So all the people that were here at nine, they're good. That means all you guys gotta get up a little bit earlier or watch online. You do have those options, okay? I'm just saying. But that means you get to get to the lake earlier. Anybody got lake plans? Again, I'm searching for an invite. Anybody? Okay. 
It didn't work. It never works. Okay, I'll, I'll keep fishing for that. Um, but really excited about that. And to get into Colossians chapter three, we're actually gonna launch off of Colossians two, six, and seven. This is really one of Paul's summary statements in this letter that he writes, and Paul's the author if you're not familiar with him. And what Paul does is he builds up to Colossians 2, 6, and 7, and then he builds off of it. So our reading in Colossians 3 is simply more specific application of how to live out Colossians 2, 6, and 7. And a challenge for all of us is that we would actually memorize this, that we would memorize these words because these words remind us that, okay, our series title is a blueprint for living, but it reminds us that Colossians is not the blueprint, but Jesus is, and that we want to build our lives on Jesus. So what I did is after week two is I just wrote this on this little index card. I set it on my nightstand, and the goal is that every morning before I even check the weather app, nerd alert, yes, I check the weather app every morning. Before I check that, before I consume any kind of content, I want to read this first to eventually memorize it. So it's going to be on the screen. I'd love for us to read this together. Colossians 2, 6, and 7. Ready? Go. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will go strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Again, this list that Paul's going to put here is helping us know how to live that out, how to truly build our lives on Jesus. So if I like lists, some of you don't like lists, if lists can be dangerous, what's the point of a list right here? Well, Paul, as he writes several letters that compose quite a bit of the New Testament, he uses lists as he communicates. And there's a lot of characteristics that those lists share in common, but one that really helps us is to know it's not exhaustive. When Paul gives a list, he's not listing every single thing there, but what he's doing is he's pointing us in a direction, which raises the question, what direction is he pointing us in through Colossians 3? So here's the big idea for today, if you want to write this down. This is not a list to check. This is a strategy for war. So that's what he's doing in Colossians 3. This is not a list to check. This is a strategy for for war. If that feels kind of jarring, we'll explain it, but just the first few words, and we're going to read it in a minute, but it literally says put to death. Like that, that's the first few words of this. So what do we mean by strategy for war? Well, earlier in Colossians, Paul has been very clear that we have spiritual forces that are real and that want to destroy us. Maybe you're uncomfortable with the idea of a literal devil, but we as Jesus followers believe that Satan is real and that he has an army of evil forces who want to destroy and ruin our lives. Now, here's the good news. Read Colossians chapter two. They have power, but they are powerless in the face of the resurrection power of Jesus. So even though we're in a war, we already know we win. So we fight in this war from a position of victory. But if we ignore the fact that we're in a war, we're going to get beat down on the way to the final victory. So we have to wake up and acknowledge we are in a war. If this still seems strange to you, I'm wondering, have you ever just been driving or maybe walking, just going throughout your day, and all of a sudden, a negative thought about someone just pops in your mind? And how quickly we latch onto that, and all of a sudden, we're thinking, well, why did she say that? Or why didn't he say this? And boom, to boom, to boom, and we just go down this trail. That's the enemy. Now, not every time. Sometimes it's just our negative thought patterns that we've established. 
But sometimes that's the enemy, Satan, or in his evil forces, literally putting that thought in our mind to try to distract us from our great works and to cause division in our relationships. So we have to understand that he is seeking our ruin. So we must have a strategy. And that's why Paul gives us these lists in Colossians 3. This is not a list to check, 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 mark up. No, this is a strategy for war. So I'm going to read Colossians 3, 5 through 17. As I read it all, I want us to try to feel this as a literal strategy for war. And I believe in the power of the word and the Holy Spirit will literally speak to us as we read this. Paul writes, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger or wrath of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free, Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. If you're comfortable, I'm gonna give you a space to just say a little prayer like this. Jesus, please speak. I'm listening. Jesus, please speak. We are listening. So as we walk through this, we're actually, we're not gonna be able to walk through all of these verses, which is one of the reasons that I read it all. I'm prepared to talk through it all, but your lunch would be cold by the time we got through it. So I wanna be good with your time. And so just pray for me that the Holy Spirit would lead me to know where to linger and where to keep moving. But if we start off, this phrase, lurking within you, really stands out. He says, put to death because these things are lurking within us. Now that word put to death means extreme effort to stop doing something. In other words, it's a strategy for war. It doesn't mean when we see these things in our lives, we're like, oh, that's not a big deal. It's cool, whatever. Everybody's got this problem. No, it means we have to actively fight against these things through the power of Christ in us because they're lurking within us. Now the first phrase there, sexual morality, is the Greek word porneia. 
Now, parents, I know we have kids in the room, so I'm going to stay at a very general level to try to respect you and your children in the room, but I think adults, we can make the specific applications, and we know what, we're, what English word we get that word from. But the point is this. Paul's saying any type of sexual immorality, man, it harms us and harms others. It's against God's design. So he uses this word to say, hey, anything that's lurking, be aware. Because we all know that we may be walking in victory and then all of a sudden we're alone with our phone and it's lurking right there, ready to trap us back into it. And then he says this, he says, greed. And he says something unique about greed, that greed is idolatry. And this sounds strange unless we factor in what Jesus said about greed. When Jesus said you cannot serve God and materialism or mammon or money. Because Jesus understood that one of the chief competitors to his place as the leader of our lives is our possessions. That we can stand in this place and, or watch online and sing, Christ, be magnified. But sometimes our credit card statement says, my stuff, be magnified. My possessions, be magnified. And so he's saying, hey, let's be aware of these things because they're lurking within us. And he says, on account of these type of sins, the wrath, the anger of God is coming. Here's the good news. Jesus took on the wrath of God on the cross for us. Jesus endured it all. But if we reject Jesus, that means we have to face God's wrath. Because the reality is, God is just. He is holy. He has to set all things right. And when in others' lives, that's a good thing. It's just not so good in our lives. But it's who he is. It's part of his goodness. And so we can avoid God's wrath by surrendering to Jesus, or we can face it by rejecting Jesus. But Paul lets us know the consequences are coming. And then he lets us know, he says, come on, guys. He said, this is how you used to live. Like, if you don't follow Jesus and you have things in your life, Paul's like, well, well die. You don't have Jesus as your blueprint. So it's no surprise to be saying, Jesus followers, this is part of our former way of life, so we need to get rid of some things. And now he shifts from Sins of sexual morality to sins of the tongue. Because here's what he knows. If either one of those are allowed to run rampant, it will destroy a community. See, Paul's not just talking about you and I, our individual lives. He's talking about public church and any other church in the global church. If, if these things run rampant, it's gonna destroy us. So he says, let's get rid of, of anger. You know, he just talked about God's wrath. The same Greek word is used here for anger. And it reminds me of Romans 12, 19. In Romans 12, 19, and Romans 12 is one of the anchor scriptures for our culture, Paul also writes this. He says, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. In other words, he says, hey, let's give room for God's wrath instead of us, like I like to do, trying to take the means and I'm gonna get vengeance and I'm gonna do my things. No, no, leave room for God to bring his justice because his justice is so much superior to ours. So leave room for God's wrath. And he says, vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. We can trust that God will one day make things right. We gotta give him space to operate in our lives. So we get rid of anger and then we evaluate how we're talking about people and that we really shouldn't be talking about people but talking to them. We evaluate the fact that when we're speaking maliciously or with slander or with dirty talk, that we're literally creating division, we're tearing people down. And so Paul says, that's how we used to be. Let's wake up and not live like that anymore because we've been transformed. That, that's what verse nine is about. It says, don't lie to each other. Why shouldn't we lie? Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so if Jesus is the truth, then his followers should be people of truth. 
So we speak truth. We stand on truth. This really hit me in college when I realized that I was letting my perfectionist tendencies cause me to be an inauthentic and, and dishonest person. I, th- I thought I was honest, but if you came up to me and said, hey, have you made that phone call tonight to line up that thing? I'd be like, oh, whoa, 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 I haven't made the call yet, but I'm planning on it. Here's the reality, I wasn't planning on it. I'd totally forgotten about it. I wasn't even thinking about it, but I'm trying to make myself look good. Well, that's not being a person of truth, and Jesus is truth, so he's been transforming me that I just have to be like, no, I forgot. I just completely messed up. I I need to put that on my list so that way I can actually do it. He says, let's not lie to each other for you've stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Then he says, put on your new nature. What in the world is he talking about here? I actually brought a shirt from our pickleball tournament yesterday. Do we have any pickleballers in here? The Cleveland pickleball community had this. Uh, Brett, who's my brother-in-law, could you smell this? It hasn't been washed. I'm sorry to put you through this, Brett. Could you just smell that? That's, that's pretty bad, isn't it? Spencer, you want to smell some? Nope, you're good. Are you sure? Whoop, whoop, no. <laughs> so this has not been washed. It's dirty. It's smelly. This is like a tiny representation of what we look like in our sin. Like Paul's painting a picture that in our sin, we are filthy, we are nasty, we are covered in just rebellion against God, and we can't put ourselves in the shower. We can't change our clothes, but Jesus does. Jesus died and he rose again. So he takes off the old smelly shirt, he puts new clothes and a new identity on us, and he says, stop acting like we're still wearing the smelly clothes. He says, I've changed your identity That's what verses 10 and 11 are about. So act like you've had an identity change. Act like you've had a wardrobe change. I love verse 10 in the ESV. It actually says that we've put on the new self, or Jesus has put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator, that we are being restored back to God's original design. And since Jesus is the blueprint for living, Here's what Paul's subtly doing here. He said, hey, you wanna know what the image of God looks like walking around earth? His name is Jesus. If you wanna know what it looks like to live as a human in God's original design, look to Jesus. He is the blueprint. And we are being restored back to that. Our minds are being renewed back to that because verse 11 says, we have a new identity. Now, verse 11 does not remove cultural distinctions. It removes inequality based on those distinctions. In Revelation 7, it's super clear that the nations and their unique cultural expressions will worship Jesus, will be part of their worship. But it says our primary identity is in Christ, not in anything else, in Christ. Because Christ, he reigns over all. He's unrivaled. And guess what? He lives in us, Colossians 1.27. That we've been transformed. We have a new identity. That's why I love how N.T. Wright says, verse 12, He says, these are the clothes we must put on then. Why? Since God has chosen you, made you holy, and feel this, since God has lavished his love upon you. That God shows us. I love, he says, hey, we're being renewed in the image of your creator, verse 10. He says, hey, it's all about Jesus, verse 11. Oh, verse 12, by the way, God chose you. And he made you holy. That we don't earn holiness, it's a status given that he said, you are loved, that we don't earn his love. He just loves us when we are in rebellion against him. He loves us anyway and sent his son to die for us anyway. So he says, because of our response to Jesus's love, let's put on some new clothes. Let's put on patience. 
We'll start at the end of the list. That word patience literally means big-hearted. It means that we're able to endure anything. Parents of, love kid, uh, of young kids, shouldn't we maybe pray for this? That we'd have this kind of patience, this ability to endure anything. He says humility. That's a distinctly Christian virtue. That, that wasn't considered a virtue in this culture. But if you read in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11, it was the way of Jesus. And so he says we clothe ourselves with humility, with, with tenderhearted mercy, with the capacity to show mercy, with, with kindness, and then with gentleness or meekness. You know, sometimes lists like this are twisted. So this isn't a strategy for war, and if it is, it's a war for the weak. Gentle? Put on gentleness and meekness? How's that going to help you? No, here's the word picture painted by the Greek word. It's a picture of a wild horse that has been trained. So this wild horse still has all its strength, but now its strength under control, ready to be harnessed in a direction instead of just causing destruction. This is what it means to be gentle and meek. It means that you are full of strength that is under the control of the Holy Spirit. Just put on these things. And he keeps pointing us back to Jesus because he tells us to forgive. How? As Jesus has forgiven us. He says, make room for each other's faults. Pause. What if we just did that? What if with our roommates, we just gave room for people to make mistakes? Because they're going to. Instead of harping on every single thing they do. Spouses, parents, what if we just made room for that? Because God made room for us and he forgives us and he changes us. And then he goes on to say, above all, clothe yourselves with love. I love that Paul, he did not wait Colossians chapter three to introduce the idea of love. If you wanna go back and look these up, it's in Colossians one, four, and two, two. He's been weaving this idea of love all throughout it. And now he says, above all, put on love. So for our Roots age kids in the room today, you guys have this and you get to play bingo. Adults, don't you wanna be between five and fifth grade? You get to play bingo. So in this, you have a family's moment. And so if you're between five and fifth grade, I wanna encourage you to talk about this with your stepdad, your parents, your grandparents, whoever it is you live with, to talk about this first question, how has Jesus loved us? Last week I challenged you guys just to start reading about Jesus or to ask your parents to read to you about Jesus. So now just talk about that as a family. How has Jesus loved us? And then here's your action this week. How can you love your family like Jesus loves you? How can you love your brother? How can you love your sister? How can you love your friends that you're playing with that have come over at the house during the summer? How can you love them like Jesus loves us? And adults, we don't outgrow that just because we're not, we've graduated beyond fifth grade. <laughs> Paul says, above all, put on love. This is what unites us. And in fact, love is a powerful part of this list because here's what he wants us to understand if we go back to the war strategy that he's given us earlier. You know what? Love doesn't, excuse me, Jesus is love. Let's make sure we're clear on that. We're not talking about how the world defines love. We're talking about Jesus as the def definition of love, that we love as Jesus has loved us. And here's the thing as we start to see the connections Paul laces in here, that Jesus's love doesn't lust because people aren't objects, they're image bearers of God. That Jesus's love is not greedy because we're not consumed with pursuing stuff, we're consumed with pursuing Jesus. That Jesus's love doesn't lash out in rage because the anger of man does not equate the righteousness of God, but we give room for the wrath of God. That Jesus' love is gentle 
because he came and humbled himself. All the strength of God in a body. He could have called down angels to take him off to the cross, but he controlled his strength so he could die for us to make a way for us to go to God. Jesus' love speaks truth and lives truth and exudes truth because he is truth. This is the Jesus brand of love. That Jesus' love speak words of life, not words of death like slander and malicious talk and dirty language, but words of life that build us up. He says, when we put on love, we let peace rule. It starts with the love, but then when he says, let peace rule in your hearts, we have to understand this isn't just an emotion when he says hearts. The heart was the seat of intellect, the seat of decision-making. So he's literally saying, let peace lead our thoughts. Let peace lead our decision-making because we're loving like Jesus. Come on, we all know this isn't gonna happen overnight and we're gonna mess this up a whole lot, but God makes room for all faults. God gives us grace. God continually picks us up when we fall down and empowers us to repent and turn from our sin and walk in a new way. And that's why Paul earlier said, do that for your friends. See, it's all about Jesus. And so here's our question. As the band comes up, here's the question I'd love for us to wrestle with this week as we think about this passage. What is one strategy for war that we need to implement this week? Just one. What is one strategy for war that we need to implement this week? And maybe your strategy is something like Louisa Wells said. See, if you do our study, which by the way, I wanna make sure everybody knows, this isn't just something we're talking about in our gatherings. Our team has a Colossians Bible study on the Public Church app. You could download that right now and go there. And each week we're having someone we're connected with internationally just share one of their journeys, one of their Bible studies. The first week, the letters were NG, because like Caitlin, who we prayed for earlier, this is somebody who's going to a country to take the story of Jesus to people. We actually couldn't reveal even her name because of the situation she's stepping into. Week two, it's Mark McCord, who works in Georgia, not the state, the Republic of Georgia. He and his wife, Debbie, served there and worked there. And this week, it was Louisa Wells, who's part of our Romanian family. And here's the scripture that stood out to her. So maybe this is an idea of how this could be a strategy of war for you. She chose Colossians 3, 12, and 14 in the message paraphrase and said, so chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. <laughs> Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. Be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what all else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. I'm not gonna read everything. You can read what she wrote, but some things she said is, these verses show us how we should relate to one another even in the midst of conflicts. They point us back to Jesus as our example. And she said, love, we should never be without it. Love is not something additional. It is essential. It should always be present in our outfits. And then she would look to say, so is love in my outfit? Does it describe me in my role as a wife, as a mother, as a colleague, or as a friend? Man, that's what I'm talking about. That's a, that's a war strategy that Louisa Wells has. And that's what God wants to give us. Let's not be overwhelmed by the magnitude of all these things that he lists. He's pointing us in a direction to saying he wants to give us the tools to struggle well. And it's going to be a struggle, but he wants to give us those tools. 
And imagine if we just began to implement one strategy of orphanness. High schoolers, middle schoolers, Imagine if with all the messages coming at you about who you should be and how you should be and what you should think of yourselves, imagine if you woke up every morning and said, you know what, I belong to Jesus. I am his. I am being renewed in the image of God through the power of Christ in me. Christ lives in me, by the way, and I'm chosen by Jesus. I'm loved by Jesus, no matter what you say about me. Imagine if you walked out the door with your identity secured in Jesus. Imagine if we fought greed this week through moving towards systematic generosity. Imagine if instead of lying, we chose the truth even though we knew it was gonna make us look bad because Jesus is truth. Imagine if there was a moment when we could exert our strength and overpower somebody and yet we let the spirit control our strength and direct it in a constructive way as we lived out gentleness and meekness. Imagine how we would point people to Jesus. That's the worst strategy that Paul gives us in this passage. So these guys are going to lead us in a couple songs, and we get to live out verse 16. These songs are about the message of Jesus, and we get to sing them with gratitude overflowing out of our hearts. And as they lead us, we have a prayer corner right back here, and I just want to invite you, if you need prayer, please go back there. If you have questions about following Jesus, if you're like, you know what, Jesus, I've never let him take off their dirty clothes and change my identity, then go have a conversation with us. We'd love to talk with you. And just take a few moments. Let the word of God change us. I'm telling you, if we listen, he'll show us how to live it out. That's what I believe, Jesus, because you do it in my life over and over again. So as we sing about who you are, as we sing about your story, Jesus, let your Holy Spirit just speak to us. Intersect us with very specific circumstances. Fight the spirit of being overwhelmed by all of this and just center us in on one more strategy that you are handing us this morning. And give us the, the discernment, the wisdom to know how to live that out. And I pray that as we just sing these songs about you that gratitude would be a natural overflow of remembering all you have done. Thank you for joining us today. We'd love to connect with you on any of our social media platforms at The Public Church or through our app or website, publicchurch.com. To give towards the vision of Public Church, you can do so through our app or website via Pushpay or by texting PUBLIC CHURCH in all caps with no spaces to 77977. Again, thanks for listening.